0: Well, amazingly, I I was a young attorney, uh, a very unhappy young attorney, and I grew up just loving television. You know, my parents were worked long into the night, uh, workaholics. So I think I was sort of socialized. Uh, you know, my socialization was by television, watching all the TV shows of the seventies and eighties. So I always knew I loved loved writing, and I really specifically loved. TV. So I started writing stage plays and things like that initially. And then I segued into TV writing mm-hmm. and I was stuck being this miserable young lawyer. And then someone said to me, you know, the old adage, you know, write what you know. So I wrote a show, uh, called the associates about five miserable young lawyers. And I actually sold that. That was my first project I sold, uh, which made it onto TV. So mm-hmm. that was a very nice, uh, way to get into the business, I I suppose.
1: How common was that? So I think that's around 2001. Because at the time, I think the general idea was to write a West Wing spec or a Seinfeld spec, something like that. Like, How common was it to pitch something original like that?
0: Yeah, no, everyone had a West Wing. I I do recall that. And I tried to work on my West Wing. I, I decided that I wanted to do something original. I had a writing partner then, and he was also a young lawyer. And we were lucky, we lived in uh, Canada, and there's this very, very big, still happens to this day, a television conference at a place called Banff, B-A-N-F-F. And it's a worldwide television conference. So our plan to sell this for a show was to write an original mm-hmm. and go to this conference and just literally pitch it to anyone who would listen to us Uh only that we didn't have enough money other than to pay for one day of the conference. (laughs) So they threw us out on day two and we literally managed to get anyone sort of passing through the hotel. who was famous, like David E. Kelly. We'd stop (laughs) them and say, can we pitch you? We pitch people in buffet lines, but we, we got to a very young company at the time was called Lionsgate Mm -hmm. and they were really interested in it. And that, you know, they were, they were just trying to find some Canadian, you know, at the time it was a Canadian project Mm -hmm. and they read and they liked it. And we, it was sort of a, a fairy tale way to get into business. Cause I thought this is great. You just pitch things like this and they buy them. <laughs> I had no idea how hard it was. So, but it was, um, you know, it took a little bit of guts to, to, to sort of go to these people. And, you know, David Kelly said, look, I'm not going to read it, but I will. If you ever come to Los Angeles, I'll help you meet some agents. And to his credit, a year later, we showed up at his offices without warning and he said, "All right, uh, here's the number of my agents and CA. Go meet them. They're waiting to meet you." And that's wow. how we got our first agent. So, a lot of kindness we got in the beginning.
1: I think years later you worked on private practice, but because of that first sale, were you kind of stuck in a like lawyer attorney type lane for a while? How did you get out of that?
0: Oh, it was, it was tough. It, there, there was a time where, I you know, around the time I was working in Shondaland and doing private practice, I'd done. Uh, Bones before that, I'd done a lot of episodic,
1: Hmm.
0: you know, streaming wasn't big at that point. And you were put into one camp or the other, you were either like writing for cable and it was always assumed that was dark and edgy, (laughs) or you wrote for network. And I remember desperately wanting to get out of this network place, not, not because the TV wasn't good. It's just, it wasn't what I wanted to write. I wanted Hmm. to write character based things that were, you know, not episodic that were serialized stories. So I remember eventually I quit from, from private practice and I said to my agents, Here's what I want to do. And they said, Look, you know, you don't, you're not going to get over there. You're not going to get to that side. You have nothing to show for it because you're in this round hole, not the, the square one you want to get to. So I was fortunate that, uh, you know, I was friends with a guy named Noah Hawley, who, um, you know, Noah Holly of, of Fargo fame now. And he said to me, you know, you want to join me this summer. I'm going to have a tiny little room. I'm going to remake Fargo as a TV show. To which I said, that's the dumbest idea of all time. Why would you, why would you, you know, work? It's a perfect movie. Why would you, why would you fuck with it? Right? So he said, no, no, the, the conceit we're taking is that it's in the world of Fargo, but with new characters. So myself, uh, Noah, and a couple other people, just, you know, for three or four months, we got in a room. And we broke season one of Fargo. We didn't think it was going to be a hit. At one point, we didn't even think it was going to go. But the minute that launched, uh, it allowed me to jump right over to that other camp. Like it was like mm-hmm. overnight. Oh, guess what? Now you're in cable, right? And that was an amazing thing. Um, I did a few of those things. And then, you know, without getting too deep in it, I wanted to get to streaming. And that was my jump into Netflix with Altered Carbon, uh, you know which was already later not, five or six years ago, I did that. I can't believe how long I've been working with Netflix for. So
1: was it like another transition? Um, Cause it seems like you, you went to cable, but also kind of, and eventually to the sci-fi direction, was that all you see that as one big leap or how do you kind of view that?
0: Um, I didn't see it as one big leap. I, I think you know, being a versatile writer is a very good thing to be in Hollywood mm. or, or in Canada, in Vancouver, where, wherever the industry is, all over the world. Now, I guess you know, with Zoom now, you don't have to be anywhere to be a writer. Now, um, I, you know, there's people who write one specific thing really well, and I'm I'm a, I'm not that person. I mean, I'm, I'm I wish I could write like Aaron Sorkin, but um, and I'm not to say Aaron Sorkin only writes one thing, but I'm saying. <laughs> I sort of made my bones in this business by being able to be versatile. So I could write a medical show. I could write legal. I wrote bones. And then I went into sci-fi with Altered Carbon. Each of those, you know, were hard left turns to sort of switch your brain. But ultimately, I always came from a point of character. So, you know, even though the genres changed to me, as long as I, I could write characters that I fell in love with as I was writing or wanted to tell their story i could do it Mm -hmm. um and and it's a good challenge for writers to to not see themselves as just one kind of writer because there's a lot of opportunity for writers to write now on shows and i wouldn't it would be terrible for someone to turn down something simply because they say you know i don't tend i don't do that i don't write that i think that's the challenge we should take on as writers you
1: know Mm. are there some some general rules you follow when you're tackling something kind of new. Like if you're going to write a medical procedural, you go just watch a bunch of shows, you read books by doctors. What kind of things do you kind of start with? Or do you start truly with character?
0: A it, it, g- good question. I mean, I used to do my own research. I, I think if you're writing, let me, let me answer the question in a different way mm-hmm. or, or answer in two different ways. If you're writing your own spec, something that you want to use as a, a calling card, you do your own research. Obviously, you want to. You got to know your world. People are so smart. The readers are not just the Hollywood readers, but the audiences. You know, if your logic doesn't make sense, if it's not ground and real, they'll spot it in a second. Mm-hmm. If you're trying to get on a show that is a pre-existing medical, fire, or police drama, it it's most important to me is that you you spend time understanding the show. Mm-hmm. You watch the show. You get as many scripts as you can. You read and learn the sort of rhythm of the show, the way it's written, the way the, you know, the characters, because there's, there's medical shows that are much more medically based. They lean, you know, the medicine is very, very hardcore. And there's ones that are lighter, you know, in the Shondaland world, when we wrote, you know, Grayson, private practice, we would do a little bit of research, but we write scenes that said, like the actor would say, go get, and we write medical, medical and do the medical, medical, because his medical, medical is dropping. Right. So we didn't know what that was. We had an incredible bunch of doctors on staff with us who would then go in and write the real medical stuff. So you don't have to know that, but mm-hmm. you do have to write an emotional scene the, the resonance has to be there to be able to get to those and those great moments so some doctor can make it feel real for you.
1: If you're, if you're kind of thinking back to like when you're on bones or one of those first jobs, are there any, um, false beliefs you can remember? Like, I used to really think this about writing, but now I know that's total BS or something like that.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I, I used to think that, um, you know, that my writing would only ever be one way that, you know, once I thought I knew how to write, that's how I was always going to write. You know, this is so cliche and it's, uh, it's silly for me to say it, but it is a muscle that you flex and you, you can, you do learn new things as a writer. Like I, I'm amazed 20 years in, I'm still learning how to be a writer. Mm. Like you never stop the learning and there's shows I thought I could never write that I write, I've written now. And, you know, Umbrella Academy was a show that I would have told you beforehand, I'm not a big graphic novel guy. I even said to my agents when they said, you should look at this. I said, guys, like, uh-uh, I'm not gra- I love I love my chemical romance and Gerard Way, but I'm not really a comic book person. They said, just just look at it. Mm-hmm. And thankfully, I did because I saw in a dysfunctional family show. I mean, my log line was when I pitched, it was like it's a dysfunctional family show with a body count. That was my fun line. That's how I saw it. I saw as Wes Anderson, right, mm-hmm. as the Royal Tenenbaums. Had I not. Being open-minded enough to think that I could do something like that—I mean, I have had the best experience of my life doing the Umbrella Academy. It's, mm-hmm. it's really like I, I loved every minute of it. I was seconds away from turning down even reading the script because I thought that is not the writer I am. Mm-hmm. And th- and that's the lesson I've learned is you—you could be any writer you want to be. You know, there's no limitation to what we can do as writers.
1: Did they put it in front of you because of those reasons, or was it or was it just a big opportunity? What like what are some of the reasons why they, they pitched it to you to look at?
0: I think they represented the uh, the other clients, actually, to be honest with you. But I also thought they they were smart enough to know that um, it, it was a, a story of a character piece about a family. And I had said to them, like, you know, I love the dysfunctional family dramas. That was something I was interested. In. So I really think at the end of the day they said, well, you know, this is what Blackman likes. This thing is a dysfunctional family show in some ways. Maybe it will work. You know, and ultimately I had the freedom from Netflix not to make it exact. Like, I didn't photocopy the graphic novel. Mm -hmm. I was allowed to sort of put my spin on it, subvert the expectation of it. And I do think that, you know, there's a lot of superhero. We do stand alone in our own little category. There's the boys, there's us, there's DC and Marvel. We're all sort of different, but that was sort of exciting part of it is to sort of take, do my take on it.
1: Hmm. So how, what kind of restrictions are there? Does it at least, does it needs, at least need to be like a linear process with the comic? Like you, do they care about when certain things happen in certain seasons, some of those things?
0: No, Netflix uh, has been very kind to me about that. They, one of the things I love about the company and you know, I'm not just, I'm not chewing their horn just because I work for them. the very beginning six years ago you know with Alter Carbon they let creators and writers lead the the charge they you know they don't tell you how to do your job that way they give you notes and thoughts but ultimately they support creative so that was a you know a very important thing for me um and you know I, I have to give credit also to Gabriel Ba the artist and Gerard Way because when I first talked to Gerard you know, he could have easily said to me, you must do this, you know, line by line, like frame by frame. He didn't say that. He he wasn't sure what was going to come out the meat grinder once I was done. Mm-hmm. And initially, I think he was apprehensive. But what's what won- happened is a wonderful friendship. I'm really close with Gerard now. And we see, he sees, I should say, that there's the g- world of the graphic novel, the world of the TV show, they're not the same. There's mm-hmm. definitely things that are, connected and are similar, but they can both exist at the same time. And in fact, they're now at a point where they inform each other. There's some things that we've done that he's going to incorporate to where he goes in the future of the graphic novel. Obviously we're in, you know, our characters are the ones he created, but we're all going in different places. And now I think he's come to the place where it's like they both can coexist. I mean, there could be an animation special an animation of the show that could also be slightly different but at the end of the day, I mean, it's, the characters are wonderful in either either media, right?
1: Mm-hmm. Are these things happening like generally in a case by case basis? Everything's happening so quickly. Are you looking yeah. to larger references or predetermining references like The Walking Dead? How they've had to navigate some of these things? Are you looking at stuff like that as you think about comic versus TV show?
0: I'm not because I think <clears throat> I think The Walking Dead was far more consistent with the original,
1: mm-hmm.
0: Kirkman uh lore that he had created you know and look there are there are fans that you know ultimately are the you know the fans who will no matter what you do will if it's like i call them the purest fan mm-hmm. they will look at what you do and say uh uh-uh, you've, you've <laughs> destroyed what gerard and gabriel did right my greatest satisfaction is turning in those fans to say okay I really love the TV show. I I can have both things. Mm -hmm. That's really hard, but it it is turning. I mean, IP is the big thing now. I mean, it's, it's not that it's never not been there, but like, you know, Netflix, uh, Amazon, uh, Disney, you know, they're all all fighting for these big IPs like Amazon's coming out with the Lord of the Rings soon. I mean, these are monstrous IPs. The goal Mm -hmm. is how do you, you know, stay true to the source material at the same time, you know, you have to sort of take it in your own, you have to put your own spin on it. It's scary because you can easily be rejected by the fans. Mm -hmm. I mean, ultimately you want to bring those fans over from the original thing and gain a whole new group of fans who never even knew about it. Now, of course, in Lord of the Rings, that's most people know Lord of the Rings, but, you know, Umbrella Academy was very popular but you know our vast majority of fans now had never heard of it Mm -hmm. so that to me is the win the goal is not to alienate the people who love it and to bring in the people who never knew about it Mm -hmm. and that is a scary balance i I got lucky and i i was able to do it but without naming names there's a few shows recently based on ip that have just been fans have just turned on it in a way Mm -hmm. that like keep me up at night worrying about you know
1: Right, so we might have kind of skipped over this. You told me about uh, your transition to Fargo. Did you say you also? What was your attachment to altered carbon? Is that kind of what led you into the Netflix world?
0: Yeah, so I'd done mm-hmm. three seasons of um, Fargo, and I had a, just a, you know a delightful time with this you know same group of writers, and you know I was ready the fourth season of Fargo at that point. Noah was doing other things, and I you know I wanted to transition to something else, and. I really wanted to go to Netflix because I had heard from other creators there, you know, they were having a very positive experience in terms of having their voices heard and not mm-hmm. change. Look, one of the wor- hardest parts of the way network TV used to be was you used to see a show, you'd read the original script, and then you'd see the, the show come out the other side, and you'd see it shot, and you'd go like, this is not the script I read. Well, what happened mm-hmm. in this show? Mm-hmm. It's a lot of too many cooks. So Netflix, you know, had the reputation of being a place where that didn't happen. So I heard about Ultra Carbon, Lita Caligarides, who's written tons of movies, Shutter Island. She's written one of the um, Terminator movies, hmm. was looking for somebody. She had not really ever run a TV show and was looking for someone to sort of co-run the show with. She was very, very knowledgeable about the uh, creative, but didn't know the sort of day to day. So. I joined her for both. I was in a room with her for eight months with a bunch of really great writers. And then I was on set to produce the show, which was a long, you know, it was a long first season. It was a great first season, but I was able to also produce it and and be on set for it. But my ultimate goal was to be able to get in the Netflix family and then to make my own shows for Netflix.
1: Was there, as kind of a writer producer, which you've, you've been a producer on many of these shows we're talking about as well. Was there kind of a turning point in your career where it felt like things really leveled up, or was it more about scalability? How do you think about kind of moving from some of the maybe more budget-friendly shows versus some of these giant sci-fi CGI shows?
0: uh, Is the question more about how do you how do you get to be more do more producing? Is that sorry? I just Uh, want to clarify
1: more so like um, level of responsibility as a producer. Like, did you think about it differently in those type of things?
0: Yeah, I mean, look there. I absolutely, you know, I'll I'll take a step back. When I was starting up in the business, you know, 20 years ago in network television, there was no streaming and there's cable, but you know, not a lot of it. The expectation of most network shows were you were, when you wrote your episode, you prepped it, you know, you sat in a room with all the other producers and the the heads of departments, you sat on set through it. So you learned how production worked Mm -hmm. and then you went through posts, you, you left the room, the writer's room for, you know, six, seven weeks, but. You know, the writers' rooms had 18 writers back then. You know, I think private practice at one point had 16 writers. So your disappearance in the room was not felt. Remember, these were 22 to 24 episode seasons. The great thing about that was you got to sort of learn why shows do the things they do, why we get notes from the line producers saying you can't do that scene. You're like, why? It's just a little car crash. Mm -hmm. But when you learn how complicated it is to do a car crash, The biggest disservice we're doing to writers now, and and it's just by virtue of the model shifting in uh, streaming, is there are many, many pre-rooms now that the show doesn't get picked up till the room is completed. So the writers are in your room, they work six months, four months, whatever the time period is, and then the show goes, the writers are done. They're not keeping the writers through that sort of invaluable process of producing and posting. And then suddenly that writer writes an amazing script And they say, now go show run this show because it's yours. We Mm -hmm. want to give you the opportunity. And people have, they don't know what to do, nor should they, because they haven't experienced it. So I, you know, I try to let my writers be exposed to everything. Um, I invite them into post, you know, I want them to ask questions. Unfortunately, you know, the, with COVID was hard to get them on set in Toronto. You know, we did have writers that would come to set before, But I, you know, I want to encourage, you know, we should encourage showrunners and networks uh, and streamers to make sure that the writers get that part of the learning. Because it it ultimately, when you want to showrun a TV show, you need to understand the limitations. Like you can write anything you want on the page. It doesn't mean it will ever get shot. And understanding what you can write and what can be made really, really is invaluable to, to getting a season that, you know, can be in budget. Cause the, sh- the shows that go over budget, you know, that's, that's the rare shows that, you know, succeed after that most shows are shut down or the showrunners, you know, replaced, you don't mm-hmm. want to be that person.
1: It sounds like the, the mindset you have, are you also having conversations with your writers about their, you know, goals, aspirations, those type of things? Like, how are you thinking about some of those things and maybe more of a, a mentor like position?
0: Yeah, no, um, you know, back when I started, God, I'm doing a lot of back when I started, we've told. Um, you know, you had to spend years at every position, like you were a co-producer for two years, producer for three years, co-EP for three years, like there was a supervising producer for there. I mean, I remember it, t- it took years to get up to a co-exec producer, or showrunner level, that's gone now, I have writers who've worked with me for a year or two who are now showrunning, so I encourage them, I say, like, I just assume each one of you in the room is going to show run your own show in about two years, right? Like, not in a decade like me, like in two years. So you, you best think more about not just, like I said, just about the writing, because that will only get you so far. So they should ask questions. They should ask why things work the way they do. You know, they if they, I, I say, when was the last time you looked at a show budget, to understand how the budgets work, so I my mentoring um, is letting them to be exposed to any part of the making of a show that they've never experienced, because that to me is is a learning curve. Mind you, there are writers who are not interested in show running; they just love writing, and you know they're the people who are much less inclined to want to take me up on my offer. And there's other people, young writers, who are chomping at the bit, who are saying, "I can't wait to show on a show." And I'm going to do that in a couple of years. And I better learn as much as I can now. And those are the writers I'm saying, like, come anytime you want to be on set, experience it all right. Mm. And uh, that's the way I think I can help. them.
1: To get into the writer's room, I'm assuming you're reading some samples, maybe they've got some credits and you're doing some type of one on one conversation. What are some of those intangibles there that helps someone make it or not make it?
0: I can tell you that I don't read any spec work. I'm sorry. Nothing that like the days of giving me a West wing or a West (laughs) world, or, you know, you can think of any show on TV. I'm not interested. I won't read it. Mm -hmm. I'll read any original work from a writer. I'll read your play. I'll read your short story, parts of your novel. I had a writer I hired, you know, last year who had almost no experience in TV, but was a playwright, brilliant guy. And I hired him in the room. So you know it's very important now. I think uh, for showrunners to understand original voice, because back in the back when I it was all about West Wing specs, it was like can you emulate the voice of this show? That mm-hmm. was sort of the goal. Now it's what do you bring to the table as an original, as a writer with original ideas? Because not everyone. I don't expect everyone in the room to be at the equal level of writing. I'm expected as a showrunner to rewrite every script at a certain level to make it cohesive, right? Mm -hmm. So some people give me a script that's 90% finished, and some 50%, but the original idea is the thing I like the most. I have such a smart team of writers in Umbrella Academy who sort of surprise me with their ideas. And my philosophy is the best idea wins. It doesn't have to be my idea. Now I have a vision for the show. I want to keep to, but if you can top my idea, then it goes in the script. So, you know, original thought is what most showrunners are looking for. And when we find an original thought through the material, you know, so my, my advice to young writers now when they ask me is, you know, what should I write? I say, write anything you're, you're good at writing because mm. showrunners will read anything now. You know, I, I hired off short stories, right? I've hired off all off features, but it's always original material. I, I don't even want to read your spec of something else anymore. I've stopped doing that for years. Mm. As, as I think a lot of showrunners have now it's been such a change over the you know over the course of my career you know when it was emulating versus original thought you know it's been such a big difference.
1: Do you do anything unusual with scripts like I've heard some uh, bit, the first five pages is always a big thing do you skip to the middle do you do anything that's odd to make sure they're following through and that type of thing?
0: Well I have a few rules I apply. I mean, I get a lot of submissions,
1: mm-hmm. you know,
0: I'll get, you know, three, 400 submissions for a job sometimes. And the truth is, you know, the very first rule of thumb, you better not have spelling or grammar errors mm-hmm. in your first 10 pages. <laughs> you know, that may, that makes me think you just didn't, you're not serious. And you didn't take the time to look it over. But I will say this, you know, in the new era of streaming, the first 15 pages are pretty important. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, the metrics now show that with so much content for, for viewers, Mm -hmm. they turn off very, very quickly. You don't have an episode or two to catch them just by comparison, Brock. When I started out on Netflix six years ago, it was, you had three episodes to capture an audience, Mm -hmm. right? (laughs) Then it became, you have one episode. Now it's like, you got 10 minutes. And then they flip that. Those are the metrics. That's how it's laying out now. So I don't need to, you know, you don't have to necessarily wow me in the first 10 or 15 pages if it's well written. And I'm, if you can hook me on something, the first 10 pages, I I will read that script through. But if I'm in a, in a story where I'm 20 pages in on a script, even if, you know, the writer knows the syntax and everything else, but if I'm not grabbed somehow and that could be by action or just an amazing character, or an amazing world. It's hard for me to read the next 30 pages when I have so many scripts. So those scripts end up in another stack. So, you know, my advice to young writers is, you know, don't save your best for your last 10 pages. Yes, you can have your twist, but you got to capture the reader and the audience quickly. And, you know, I mean, just ask yourself as a TV viewer, you know, unless there's something you know and love ahead of time and you're watching something new, if it doesn't interest you, just flip to the next thing because there's so many other things to watch, right? Perfect. So you, you've you got to, I think writers have to take that to heart as much as I hate to say it, you know, you've got to, you got to grab people now quickly.
1: Hey, thanks for tuning into the show. So many great lessons on screenwriting and air. If you're looking for some more information, though, some more about the craft of writing for television. Uh, We have a new course called Script Mastermind, where we have 21 of our proven experts telling you how to write for television, how to write a screenplay, how to break in, things like that. Uh, This includes shows of Gordon Levitt, Judd Apatow, also the writers of shows like Handmaid's Tale, Mosquito Coast, Hunters, Solar Opposites, Resident Alien, WandaVision, the list goes on and on. Check that out. Uh, you can get this all right now for one dollar at scriptmastermind.com/television. That is the television screen running masterclass. It is at scriptmastermind.com/television. We'll see you next time with a new episode.